Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome to this bonus episode of Out with Susie Ruffle with me, Susie Ruffle. Now, uh, I'm very excited to bring you series four in a couple of weeks. I hope that you've had a nice restful summer and that you've got to do some things that you've really enjoyed. I'm very excited that I'll be dropping back into your feed weekly, but keep an eye out for it. And I've got, I have got some excellent episodes coming up for you. And so I really hope that you enjoy them. But I wanted to share something a little bit different with you today because my friend, Emily Sargent, who's a journalist, has recently released her own podcast. And I think if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy this show, this could really be for you as well. It's called Thinking Straight. And she has done a deep dive into what is going on within conversion therapy. And she's joining me today for a conversation. And I think it's really important. I was blown away by how brilliant this podcast series is. And I think if you enjoy this podcast and you've got any interest in coming out on people's journey to coming out, then I think this podcast by Emily, Thinking Straight, is essential listening. So um, I've got Emily here with me today. Hi, Em. Hi, Susie. Thank you so much for having me. You're also missing out that you're a, a very big part of the podcast. I am an occasional part of the podcast in that sometimes you talk to me about what's going on uh, yes. as your sort of queer friend, <laughs> your, your, your queer sounding board friend. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I did also persuade you to come to a church service with me, which an I, inclusive church, an inclusive church an LGBTQIA plus inclusive church, which I actually found very soothing and calming in a way that I didn't think I was going to. And I, I, I'd say snap to that. I felt exactly the same. So let's start. I, I've listened to almost all of the podcasts now. Let's start off by talking about what it is, what it's about and why you wanted to do it. So in 2018, just over three years ago, I heard that Theresa May had made a pledge to end conversion therapy practices in Britain. I had no idea that it happened here. I assumed it was something that only happened in America. Um, so that in itself was shocking to me that it existed. And conversion therapy, just so everyone that's listening is clear, because I guess we're used to using those phrases because we've been talking about this subject for quite a long time together, but it's mm. the idea that people are trying to change their sexuality, that they're trying to, I mean, the colloquial way of talking about it might be like, pray away the gay, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's, so it's trying to change or suppress somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, so making a gay person straight, a, a transgender person, cisgender, or um, and the practices, there's a big 
an enormous spectrum of the ways in which this happens. It could be exorcisms, it could be beatings, it could be, in some horrific extreme cases, um, corrective, so-called corrective rape. Uh, most commonly in Britain, though, it is that pray away the gay style, mm-hmm. um, which so so it mostly occurs in a religious setting. People will go to support groups or one-to-one therapy, and they will go through a process of trying to find traumas that happened in their childhood that can explain why they have this kind of dysfunctional aspect to themselves. And and it's real. Uh, but the, but the the pray away the gay style therapy is just as traumatic damaging in many ways as those more kind of physically abusive forms so in 2018 uh Theresa may said that she was going to ban conversion therapy Mm -hmm. and it just hasn't happened just hasn't happened and the government they're just about to enter a consultation period to discuss what shape the ban might take what it might look like liz truss is now saying it's going to be banned in spring next year but by that point It's going to be almost four years since the promise was made. And the worry at the moment, because for lots of LGBT plus activists, they don't know what there is still to consult on because there has been loads of research done to say where it happens, how often it happens, who it's happening to. This stuff exists. We don't need to keep talking about it. Uh, And the concern amongst lots of those campaigners is that Boris Johnson has, in a response this summer, this this spring, this summer, to the Evangelical Alliance, who are anti a ban and um, and a concern that it's going to be restrict religious freedoms, which it it won't. They want to be able to continue to pray with people, for them to change their sexuality or gender identity. And the concern is that Boris has said you will still be able to do that. In effect, he has said a ban won't include prayer therapy. He's reassured you know, these right-wing evangelicals that they will be allowed to continue those practices, which means that a ban will essentially, if it comes into force in that form, be ineffectual because the forms that he will cover in the ban are already illegal, like beatings, rape, all of these awful things are covered by different kinds of laws. So that is, in a nutshell, kind of where we are now. And it's really worrying. We need, we really need them to make sure that this is comprehensive and covers everything that it needs to. And over the course of your investigative podcast series, you speak to people on both sides of the debate. Mm -hmm. You speak to people that have been through conversion, and you can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm doing air quotes, um, conversion therapy. And I mean, the truth of it is that it just doesn't work, of course. No, it doesn't work. And... I've spoken to people who have, I mean, I've spoken to loads of survivors now. Some of them have gone through a year of conversion therapy. One young lesbian went through several years of this, then came out, um, is now happily engaged to a woman. There are lots of those kinds of stories where somebody went through this for several years and then got to a point of having a mental breakdown or or just couldn't take it anymore realized that it wasn't working there are also people who've gone on to get married and be in heterosexual marriages and 20 years down the line they come out as gay and you know it's just they've they've lost a whole lifetime yeah 
But the the really interesting thing was interviewing Peter Linus, who's the UK director of the Evangelical Alliance. And I said to him, had he prayed with anybody to change their sexuality? And he said that he had, and that um, he knew people who were remained same-sex attracted, but did enter a heterosexual marriage. And I said to him, does he believe that that person's living a happy and satisfied life? And he said, well, they told me they are, so... Yeah. yeah. But, But all evidence says it does not work. And a tiny percentage of people who've been through this say that it has worked, but I would hazard that they just are hopeful because they feel like life will be really difficult for them. For them to come out. Yeah. The issue here is that it suggests there's something innately wrong with you and that there's something that can be changed and that basically it's saying that, you know, your religion will not accept you unless you make these changes in your life and live this sort of half-life where you're married to someone that you're potentially not attracted to Mm -hmm. and you just sort of bury that part of yourself. The thing that I found most sort of upsetting whilst listening to your series was how let down people were by these institutions that they had grown up in that they loved, they'd given so much of their time, their energy, they'd tried so hard to be mm. straight, you know, whether it was the beatings, whether it was the exorcism, the guy saying that he was like throwing up afterwards and he like, you know, left sort of in, you know, a complete mess. And even mm. though the church had watched them try so hard and committed so much to try and be what the church deemed as acceptable. And then once they said, I can't do this anymore, it seemed that, I think in all the cases to the people that you spoke to, though their churches sort of wash their hands of them. Yeah, and that's that's a really devastating part of this for so many survivors. And it's something I can't, as much as I've tried to understand as much as I can, I'm not, I don't have faith in that mm-hmm. sense. I'm not part of a religious institution, so I don't know what it must be like for these often really young people to be making a choice between being entirely ostracized and out on their own with no community, no family, no friends. And, you know, I found it hard enough just to come out Mm. without, without thinking, well, I'm going to come out, which is probably the hardest thing I've done in my life to date. And also once I've done that, I'm going to have nobody. I, I mean, that was, and I suppose actually, if I think about it, which hasn't really crossed my mind until now, but that was probably my, biggest fear in making the yeah. choice to tell people was everyone's going to leave I, everyone's yeah. going to find me disgusting and they won't want to be around me so I'm going to say this thing and probably the result is I'll have nobody afterwards and that didn't happen and I'm really lucky but that actually really is the reality for so many and there's like a few people that we spoke to who have been through this who just said I don't want to talk about my family because we haven't spoken in 15 years or something like, you know, there's people really do lose core members of their, of their circle and they just never speak again. And it's really heartbreaking. And it's really important to mention that we did go to the Oasis church. We went to the one that's not far from Waterloo and that's an inclusive church and they are just brilliant. I've never felt so welcome to anything. I like anything. I've no, I didn't. Feel, I wouldn't feel so welcome in my own house. Yeah. Like you walked in and they were like, "Hi, thanks so much for coming. It's great to see you." I know. You're like, "Oh, is it great to see me? That's so nice." <laughs> um, but there are. It's important when talking about this that there are 
you know, if, if someone's listening and thinking, oh, you know, I'm in this position with my church or with my, well, I guess we're, we're talking more about sort of the Christian faith here. But, you know, some of the people that we spoke to at the Oasis Church had been through conversion therapy and had sort of been ostracized from the church they had grown up in. And one girl that we spoke to even said that she she moved to London from somewhere else in the UK just to be near this church. Yeah. Because she was so desperate to keep her faith, even though she yeah. had seemed to have, have lost quite a lot with regards to sort of community and friendship and family. It's I guess it's important to note that this isn't all of the Christian faith. And, you know, listeners to the podcast will know that, you know, I've, I've spoken to the Reverend Richard Coles on here and there are places where people you know, can feel included. But, you know, it's worth noting, I wrote an article for The Independent a few months ago about the fact that Alice and I have recently got married. And I said, you know, I made a flippant comment in in the article saying, oh, you know, we didn't want to cozy up to a vicar to get married in a church. And someone messaged me quite rightly and said, I love the article, but wouldn't matter how much you cozied up to a vicar, you're not allowed to get married in the church. And I was like, oh, shit. I hadn't even realised that, that, Mm. you know, that's just not an option. And so I guess, you know, there are, inclusive places and I think that you could get married in somewhere like the Oasis Church but it still feels like there's a long way to go with this religious freedom and sort of just equality yeah for sure and you and I both felt that as well going into that church it was like wonderful and I also still was on my guard I didn't entirely Mm -hmm. relax um and that's because I have always just assumed that these are not my people and it's a self-protective thing I assume that if if I am welcome it will be a dialed down version of myself or 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 that part of my identity needs to be slightly veiled Uh, you know it's it's kind of in the way that I would have spoken to my grandparents about having a girlfriend or something it's like you can do it but just be polite and discreet and it's yeah I mean Oasis is incredible and I can I can totally understand that people would like move across the country to be part of that community but and Steve Chalk who is the founder of that charity in those churches is oh my god I love him I love him he's I love Steve Chalk he's I I could actually just listen to him talking all day he's got such a (laughs) and he features quite heavily on the podcast doesn't he yeah he um because he's done so much for in in terms of kind of modernizing having a hand in modernizing the church and welcoming lgbtqia plus people into his congregation i think they look after like thousands of school children because they have yes. academies and as well as churches so he's been very influential and vocal about the need to modernize these big old institutions um, but there, there is a long way to go. And I think it's reasonable that lots of people in the queer community would still feel hesitant mm-hmm. and doubtful that they will, in a completely whole way, be accepted. Yeah, I, d- I did just, I still felt a little bit nervous being there as much as all evidence said that everyone there was amazing and accepting. Um, it's interesting to to still feel that. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? About what we carry about sort of people's assumptions of us. And I know for me, it's a lot often to do with like my absolute unbelievable need for everyone to like me. Um, <laughs> would you would you be interested in ever getting married in a church? Is that, I mean, would you? Well, I don't, I don't think Alice would. I mean, I, I have said before, I would, I love the idea of having faith. It's just not really 
and I love the idea of like heaven and God and I'd love to be like, but it's, but it's just not, it just has never felt there for me. Maybe it will change, yeah. but if it does, Oasis would be the place that I go. I know that for sure. Now, just to get back onto what we're, but you know, what, what the beginnings of the podcast was, what the reason that you wanted to do about this sort of conversion therapy. One thing that you do throughout the series is you go undercover. Mm. It's sort of a version of yourself, sort of maybe Emily when she was 18, where, yeah. you know, we've spoken about this before, where, you know, we, we, we had similar feelings where as teenagers, we thought if I could not be gay, I, I, would, I would want to not to be gay. I'd like to turn off this switch, whatever this thing is that's making me gay. And if there was a way to not have these feelings... Mm. Then, then I probably would have done it. And mm-hmm. uh, you sort of channeled that version of yourself and then went to sort of talking conversion therapy. Yes, yeah, so I definitely was inhabiting, I would say. So I came out when I was 22, mm-hmm. having been in a three-year relationship with a man and just kind of had a bit of a meltdown and realised that I couldn't... I was in Newcastle. I've, I just... I didn't, I did not want to be a lesbian. Every fibre of my being just went to bed at night waking, hoping that I would wake up straight. And I really just thought, if I live the straight life hard enough, it'll Mm -hmm. happen. And it didn't. So yeah, I was putting myself into that mindset so that when I was speaking to this woman, I was answering all of her questions honestly as that version of myself. So she is a private counsellor. I was given her contact details by a man who is a famous advocate. He wouldn't call it conversion therapy, but he he advocates for the freedom to choose to enter into therapy to deal with same-sex attraction. And that's Mike Davidson, who runs an organization called Core Issues Trust. Mm-hmm. And I and I spoke to him and I said, I'm I'm struggling with these feelings of same-sex attraction, and he put me in touch with this woman. So I had six hour long weekly sessions with her over a period of six weeks. And I can't, I mean, you and I have been talking about this for years because I started trying to dig into this so long ago. And I just, I didn't think, I didn't think it was going to be easy, but I sort of thought I'm going to be doing this from a, it's a journalistic perspective. I'm going to, have the conversations, do what needs to happen, get out of and there. And then write down, you know, what's happened and it will be something that you can be quite removed from. Yeah, and and in actuality, it really, really messed with my head. I, I thought, because I'm very, I, I mean, I'm very happily out now. I, if anything, think it's great being gay. I mean, I, I really, many, many upsides to it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I love being gay but yeah I didn't feel like that a while ago a while is not right but I didn't feel like that you know 10-15 years ago no and I would never have anticipated having such a massive about turn and thinking actually I'm so I'm so lucky and I know that that's not the case for so many people and in terms of you know it's it's such a difficult thing but anyway I I mean I just just to say I was coming to this from a point of being very secure and fine mm-hmm. about that part of myself and going, I guess it's two things. It's it's putting yourself back into that place where it was a real source of pain and thinking about how it felt then. And then the methods that 
um, people who do this kind of work, I'm saying in inverted commas, um, use, which is, so a lot of people, will, they, they term it the a trauma hunt. So this person will go through your childhood in, in using this kind of pseudo psychology to find things that happened in your past that could be a reason for you developing to become a dysfunctional adult basically and and so there's a lot of going over your relationships with your parents um early sexual experiences and you were really brave because you you really put it all out there and you've put it on the podcast you know that she really digs into everything from you know your relationship with your mum and dad to a boyfriend to what your sexual encounters with men were like and this idea of like this dysfunctional thing being your sexuality it's just she she doesn't realize how callous and careless she sounds throughout it whilst going on this sort of trauma hunt yeah and i i want to say the dysfunctional is that's not a word that she used that's a word that another man who i met right at the beginning of this used yeah we talked a lot about you know, whether I had enough physical contact with my parents, whether my dad told me that I looked attractive enough when I was young, when I wore dresses. But yeah, the thing that I found most distressing and disturbing, which I hadn't necessarily anticipated, was going over in very granular detail what it was like to have sex with men. And I'd had a boyfriend for several years who was a lovely, sweet, kind man who I still think the world of and is just he's amazing but but obviously you know I I was I was gay I was having sex with a man I was suppressing all of my feelings that I had around that and so it brought up all this strange self-loathing and and this feeling that I'd you know not been honest with him not been honest with myself was drinking a lot of the time just all of this really uncomfortable stuff and then while all of that is going on, she's, you know, asking questions about, did I enjoy it? Did I orgasm? But didn't I ever enjoy it? Because, you know, we all have sex drives and maybe I was just quite young and all of these things that had I gone to her 10 years ago, I would have thought, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I am just quite young. Yeah, maybe it is possible Mm. for me to enjoy it. It was difficult because I was doing, you know, I'm doing this... um, these six sessions with her and I'm also having therapy outside of this with another person and there there were these strange work like areas where the conversations would intersect because of course we all talk about our family and therapy I'm speaking about my parents and my relationship to them with a therapist that I've been seeing for several years and then to be talking about this stuff to this person who I'm seeing to try to become straight, it really messed with my head. I couldn't quite untangle often why I was feeling in a certain way and where it was coming from. And it just unearthed all this stuff that I hadn't thought about for a really long time. And also, just to say as well, she, you know, one of the one of the kind of common themes is if we've experienced violence from men that can be a reason for a woman becoming a lesbian, essentially, that you become afraid of men and in its most crude explanation. But that is something that my 
female partner and I have both experienced and she was going down that route at one point and there was enough that felt plausible to me that I actually started thinking oh god you know I started doubting myself I did feel at about the kind of three or four sessions in mark that I was starting to feel a bit mad and a bit like I need to just get out of this um as soon as possible so it took yeah I definitely I think it took about at least a month to start to feel a bit more normal again after doing all of those. But I mean, you you were, I, th- I think I was talking to you throughout all of those and I know you were concerned at the beginning and I was like, it'll be fine. It's just, it's a means to an end. And then I continue <laughs> to be concerned throughout. Um, <laughs> but I think what you've, what you've created is something that's really important that it's just, you know, that I hope loads and loads of people listen to and read the Encompany article in the Times because I think it's, I think when we think about, oh, well, maybe someone should be able to just, you know, meet up with someone and pray if, if they want a certain kind of life. But I think the problem with that is it's the most vulnerable in our community. It's the people that feel like they have potentially the most to lose and it doesn't work. So you're just giving, you're just making people real of all of this trauma, attributing their sexuality to that and then from lots and lots and lots of people that you spoke to people are then just walking away with even more trauma because they've gone through this awful experience of thinking they can be something that they're not Mm. being given this hope for this other kind of life and then having to sort of rebuild themselves with even more self-loathing yeah I mean it's taken many of the people I've spoken to decades to recover from this if they've been through it for a significant period of time which lots of people do the the self-harm and suicide rates are so high it's just awful it's compounding people's self-loathing around a central part of their identity and that takes years and years to unpick if people are able to because as Mm. you say these are generally already vulnerable members of society and and you know can they get psychological support after it are they completely on their own like levels of homelessness are really high so yeah it's really and at least if this is enshrined in law and banned those people will be able to seek support after this happens is a critical thing and i think one thing that we've not mentioned but it also costs people an awful lot of money yeah to go through this therapy you know they're paying it's not like it's stuff that you can get on the NHS quite right. Yeah. But, you know, people are spending thousands and thousands of pounds to try yeah. and lose their gayness or their queerness or their transness or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think what you've created is something really, really brilliant. And it's, it's a really important listen. And I've learned stuff from every single episode, even though, you know, I pop up in them. <laughs> I didn't know the sort of... <laughs> the ins and outs of everything. And I think that you've been enormously brave putting yourself through that and enormously kind and caring in how that you've found these stories and you've supported people to tell theirs. And I just think that if you enjoy this podcast or if you've ever enjoyed even just one episode of this podcast and the stories that queer people had on their journeys to coming out, then this is something that I think that you might really enjoy. So it's called Thinking Straight and it's hosted by Emily, who's been joining me today, Emily Sargent. And give it a listen, tweet about it, tell your friends about it. Because I think the more people that listen to this and the more people that realise, you know, the journey that we have to go on to having this ban that Theresa May promised three years ago, 
we, we've still got a bit of a journey to go on thank you so much Susie and you you are an integral part of it you're in basically <laughs> all of the episodes so <laughs> well you know what I'm like I pop up in things 